I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024. And grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Well, I hope you guys had as much fun listening to the first season of the Plant Strong podcast as much as I did hosting it. Uh, I loved interviewing all of the guests, and I absolutely cherished coaching Joe Inga, our Bronx firefighter. From a overweight couch potato to a sweet potato triathlete in under six months. It was, a, it was an absolute joy. So this bonus episode, it's a candid conversation that I recently had with a gentleman named Scott Battisill. Scott is one of the producers of the Plan Strong podcast. And he is the founder of a company called 10% Media. And they have dedicated their resources and expertise in brand building to help elevate specifically plant-based companies and get them noticed in the marketplace. It's big and exciting work, and Scott is an absolute gem to work with. Before we kick off this episode, I want to read a note that I received from one of our listeners. Rip, our household listens to your podcast, and a few years ago used your first book to start our adventure into plant-based living. I just wanted to drop a line of thanks for introducing the Nutra milk into our kitchen and our lives. Not only does the milk taste better than what we were buying at the store, but we also get to skip a bunch of the ingredients that we clearly didn't need in our plant-based milk. As a Canadian, your coupon saved us the international shipping fee, and it was a nice surprise not to pay duties to the delivery driver at the door. Keep doing what you do, and a special thanks to you and your team for sharing it with us. Lynn McGregor. Lynn, I want you to know how thrilled I am that you're enjoying your Nutra milk. And if you, the listener, would like one at home, visit thenutramilk.com and use the code PLANTSTRONG for $50 off and free shipping. Now, let's jump in. 
here we sit in the beautiful Esselstyn family farm. It's, it is literally postcard beautiful and bucolic. And as we record this, we're about uh, a day away from the triathlon with Joe and, and wrapping up season one of the podcast. And you have had the really wonderful benefit of, of talking with just an amazing list of absolutely remarkable and inspiring guests. And as I've shared with you a number of times, we were walking last night over the property and as I was sharing with you, it's uh, you and your family are among the most remarkable and inspiring people I've ever met. And um, just a wonderful testament to the, um, the benefits and the power of eating plant strong. And um, last night after dinner, we had a ping pong tournament in your basement here at the farm and yes, <laughs> your, uh, 85 year old mom and I were a team and she, uh, I was literally the weak link on that, on, <laughs> on the team. She's amazing and full of energy and super competitive. Just a, um, just a wonderful, uh, testament to the way we eat and that, and the power of sort of, of living this way. And you, uh, just recently shattered the 200-meter backstroke world record for your age group, 55 to 59. And so we thought it'd be kind of fun to turn the tables and talk with you about uh, really kind of in depth about what went into that, why you did it, uh, but also really just talk about the way you eat. We've talked now for a whole season about the way our guests eat and so forth, but um, I imagine people would love to hear what you eat in the course of a day. And we talk about the seven pillars and the seventh pillar is movement. And uh, movement and exercise has been a, a cornerstone of your entire life. And so maybe we can start with you talking about your relationship with with exercise and how you move. Yeah. Um so I've always felt very comfortable in the athletic arena as long as I can remember, you know, whether it was doing the presidential fitness award back in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, playing on the so on softball teams, little league baseball, basketball in the neighborhood. I grew up in this very idyllic neighborhood, you know, in, in one of the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, we would have all these pickup baseball games, tennis. So I, I really, um, as a as a young kid growing up, I got introduced to every sport imaginable. Right? I mean, swimming, biking, running, volleyball, baseball. You know, all the um, all the ball sports, and I and I loved it all. But for whatever reason, I kind of gravitated towards towards swimming it was it was one of those sports that I um, excelled at uh, in, in high school really it's funny I was kind of a, a late bloomer of sorts I, I was kind of short until about maybe the ninth tenth grade and that's when I shot up and went from probably five eight five nine up to over six feet and I'm now almost six feet two and then I ended up doing a a, a postgraduate year at a boarding school and it was known as being one of the the best swimming high schools in the country. It's called Mercersburg Academy. And I went there and kind of repeated my, my junior year. And that's when I needed that extra year. And that's when I kind of got decent. And I mean, I got good enough to where I had places like the University of Texas at Austin, Arizona, Tennessee, Indiana. These universities were soliciting me and offered me recruiting trips, and I visited the schools. But I, of course, I, I landed at the University of Texas at Austin for a number of reasons, and you know, ah, gosh, have no regrets because if I wouldn't have gone to Texas, I wouldn't have, um, you know, I don't think I would have become a professional triathlete. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have become a firefighter. 
and I wouldn't be here today, you know, talking to you. Becoming a Division One athlete is is a major accomplishment, and you did extremely well, professional triathlete. But then when you stopped, and then you entered the work world and became a firefighter, that's when, for most people too, so they might have played high school sports, or they might have just been active through school, but then they enter the workforce and they they stop moving. They have a commute. They sit at their desk all day. Uh, life is busy. You got to get dinner on the table. But you kept it going. Uh, so talk about why you do that and you know what you do in the course of every day for your workout. Well, you know I'm going to back back up a little bit because yes, I went to the University of Texas at Austin and it was the number one or number two swimming school in the country. And I had set certain aspirations for myself, you know. I mean, every swimmer that, that I know of, especially at Division One, they want to go to the Olympics. And they want to win a medal at the Olympics, right? And, you know, my father won a gold medal uh, in, in rowing in 1956. And so I kind of had high aspirations. So I went to UT, and I went there because I was a backstroker. And the American record holder was there at the time, a guy named Clay Britt. And the world record holder in meters, a guy named Rick Carey. And I'm like, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to go and, you know, see how the best do it. And I just, for whatever reason, uh, I never got as good as I wanted to. So I always had this, I was always kind of disappointed in where I ended with my swimming career. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, frankly, I threw myself into triathlons right? Because I had this nagging disappointment that just would not go away. And I figured, okay, if I work harder than anybody else, if I do all the little things right, then maybe I can erase some of that disappointment that I had because, you know, I never made it to the Olympics. Um, I went to the Olympic trials and was a three-time All-American, but, you know, you'd be amazed how many swimmers that if they don't get an Olympic medal, they feel like they're a failure. And I have learned so much, you know, just in the, the evolution of our mindsets and, 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 and what we want and failure and, and all that. But so getting back to your question, why am I still like, you know, doing this day after day? I think some of it, believe it or not, goes back to not a lot, but a little goes back to my disappointment back in my college days. The other thing is I've fallen in love. I've fallen in love with movement, the meditation that kind of, I think, happens with me in my mind when I'm swimming, biking, running. I just, there's, there's a certain meditation that happens, especially when you're clicking on all cylinders. There's a certain grace and ease in these sports, especially when your form is there, when your fitness is there. And it's almost like, all right, let's see what we can do today. And I've been swimming with this master's swim program. I think we may have touched upon this a touch with J.D. Roth, in episode five, you know, JD talked about how, you know, one of the things that keeps him accountable is he has these group of guys that he has over to his house. <laughs> they got to come to his house, but he has them over to his house at, you know, whatever, six o'clock. And there's like a group of 10 or 12 and they've been doing it now for over a decade. And they're like best buds. Well, I got something very similar to that. Uh, back in Austin, it's with the, this rolling wood master's swim program. There's um, probably 10 guys and a few women, and we've been together for, some of us, almost 20 years. And, you know, we're there for each other. These guys have become some of the closest friends in my life. Not only is it a bonding experience with these these people that we've connected, I've connected with for so many years, but it also 
it is such a wonderful way to start your day, right? I mean, when you when the first thing that you can do in the morning is bang out uh, a killer workout, and it's usually only an hour, but how oh many my, days a week? So it's I usually go five days a week. They have six days a week. I usually go five days a week, and then after we swim, and and one of the things I want you to know is I'm 56, and I go hard. I mean, you know, I know some people, they get over a certain age and they're like, you know, I'm just going to like take it easy. I'm not going to get the heart rate up over a certain level. You know, don't want any beads of sweat coming down the old forehead. You know, I'm kind of like, all right, let's bring it on. Right? Let's, let's, let's hurt. Right? <laughs> and I do that. Uh, I do that a lot. And then you get out of the pool. So I've, I've been with you on one of these workouts. Yeah. Then you get out of the pool and you do pull-ups and uh, a pretty amazing core routine. Right. So we do some medicine ball work. We do, we do pull-ups. Yeah, we do, we do different kind of variations of plank workouts. Um, we're always trying to mix it up and, and try new stuff. But yeah, so after a swim and then doing 15 to 20 minutes of, of core work, pull-ups, sit-ups, uh, man, you are like ready to just like dig into the day and, and do some damage. So at what point did you decide, okay, being a division one athlete wasn't enough being a, a world-class professional triathlete wasn't enough. Now I want to, I want to break the world record for your age group. When was that decided? So I, I, I didn't really have these ambitions of getting the world record. I, I, I do maybe need to say that two and a half, almost three years ago. I did try to get the world record for 50 to 54 year olds, but I was 54 and like six months old. Not a good time to try and get you know, a world record because I'm at the very end of the age group and I missed it by uh, a little over like three and a half seconds. And I remember hurting so bad in this, in this effort and I'm like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm just, I'm done racing. It's just, it's, it's, it's a whole nother level of pain beyond the workouts that I just don't, I don't know if I want to go there. Um, and when I was on the rich roll podcast, you know, rich was like, come on, you got to do it. You got to do it for everybody that's out there. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I had blood coming out of my eyeballs and I had, uh, not literally, but that's what it felt like. Right. And I felt like I was breathing out of every orifice in my body. So there was <laughs> some serious pain and my legs felt like lead weights and there was, you know, lactic acid coursing through every molecule of my body. So, but yeah, if I can back up. So when, when you're, when you were swimming in college, did you feel the same way or is this sort of a function of as you're getting older, but, or is the pain cave, the pain cave? No, it, that's a really interesting question. And what I found is, so when I was in college, I was training typically three and a half to four hours a day, right? You're doing a lot of leg work, kick work. Um, just my aerobic capacity was a lot higher than it is now. Um, you know, today I'm 45 minutes to an hour, right? Five days a week. There it was six days a week, uh, half, three or four days a week. We're doing double workouts. We're doing weights. We're doing plyometrics. You know, we're, we're doing just all kinds of stuff. So it's just a whole nother level of of fitness. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you get up into your fifties and whatnot. And, uh, it's, it's not easy to, to toe the line and then go like all out. And what's interesting, and I'll share this with you is, so I did three efforts here in the last three months, two months to get this world record. And it got easier every time as my body got used to going 
you know, deep into the pain cave. Uh, it just, um, yeah, it was, it, it, and it's fun when you don't have that insane level of pain. So, so you made the decision, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it at 56, going to try and break the record. Right. Uh, and, it, and actually, you know, technically it was a year too late. I should have tried when I was 55. Right. But what happened is I'm, I'm there on a Sunday morning workout, a, a guy that usually swims with another master's program. He was there on Sunday and his name's Jim Sauer. And he's like, you know, Rip, you should go after that 200 meter backstroke record, uh, that world record. I think, I think you can get it. I'm like, really? I'm like, I haven't even thought about it. And he's like, yeah, there's a meet here in Austin, uh, at the Austin swim center in about two weeks, just like do it and see what happens. And the last thing I, I had so much on my plate, the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, get that in my brain. But he planted the seed. I remember thinking about it that night when I was going to sleep. I thought about it the next morning when I woke up. Then, you know, I went to a couple workouts that week. And all of a sudden, before I, you know, I know, I know it, I'm training a lot more backstroke. I'm doing a lot more race pace stuff. Um, and I decided, all right, I'm going to do it. And then, and so you did it in Austin or where'd you go for the, for the meet? Signed up. The meet was, you know, coincidentally, it was literally a mile and a half from my house. This it's called the Austin swim center. It's a 50 meter pool. And in order to get a world record, it has to be in meters, long course meters. It's the Olympic distance. Um, it can't be in yards. And so I went to the meet. I hadn't trained in a meter pool in two and a half years since I tried getting that one record when I was 54 in six months. And I went, I went out in a 111. It hurt like the Dickens coming back. My third 50 meters was the weak link. And then uh, I came back pretty good the last 50 meters. So for those of you that don't kind of, the, I'll try and explain it. Basically, it's I, I break it up into four 50-meter kind of laps, right, or lengths. And um, my last 50 meters coming home was solid. I had a lot of people cheering me on. But I missed the, the world record by two seconds. So I missed it by two seconds. The, the previous world record was 222.68, and I went 224.81. And, and I was like, wow, I missed it by two seconds and I was like, wow, that hurt so bad. And hats off to uh, Craig Peterson, the guy that had the world record, because I don't know if I can get it. And then, you know, as, all, as it works, you finish that marathon, and you're like, I'll never do a marathon again, right? Or you, you, you do a 100-mile you know, run, I'll never do that again. A week goes by, and you're like, you know what? I think I want to do that again. So I, I gave, I sat down, I'm like, all right, what do I got to do to get that record? I missed it by two seconds. And I realized, well, one, I got to give it a lot more respect. Uh, two, I got to train in a long course meters pool. And I got to, I got to slow down my stroke. I can't, um, I got to slow down my RPMs. I got to become a little bit more efficient. I got to save my legs for the last hundred meters, not use my legs so much the first hundred meters. And I got to kick some major butt on that third 50 meters, Right. Because, you know, just with adrenaline, you're going to, I'm going to go out, find the first 50 meters, second 50 meters. I got to like put it into cruise mode, but still be going like race pace. And then that third 50 meters, no matter how much my body is saying, dude, slow, slow down. This is like not fun. I got to push through that 
and then I got, got to come home like, you know, my life depends on it. And so uh, I found a swim meet that was in Houston, Texas at a place called the Dad's Club. It was a little kind of not the greatest pool. It's like maybe four feet deep the, the whole way. But I was leaving the next day to go on a two-week-long family vacation up into you know, the, the, the hinterland in Wisconsin. And so I'm like, all right, if I don't, if I don't do it in the next two weeks, I'm not going to have another chance. So I trained 10 workouts in, in, in a 50-meter pool. I did a lot more race pace stuff. I got my stroke down where it was super efficient, and um, I felt great. Then I drove to Houston. My, my son went with me, and I spent the night there at a friend's house, woke up the next morning. The meet was at about 9, 9.30. What did you have for breakfast? So, you know, the, the funny thing is I don't have anything special on, on race night, uh, or, or the night before my race or race morning, I just eat the exact same thing I always eat. I mean, it's, it's the cleanest burning fuel out there. I don't like do a, a dedicated carbo load or, you know, have a pasta meal or something like that. But what I had that morning was I had, I, I took with me in the car, my triple berry rips, big bowl cereal. I had the oat milk. I had a sliced banana and I had some, some blueberries. Yeah. And that was it. That was it, and I had that maybe two hours before the before the race, and then I, and then I showed up. And the thing about this meet is, like I said, it was a rinky dink masters meet, but it was certified for a world record. They had electronic timing at both ends of the pool. It had been certified, sanctioned, um, but there were only about maybe 12, 12 people in masters, and I think that's like twenty to age 20 to age 80 that signed up for the men's 200 meter backstroke. So I was in a heat with maybe five, six other people. There were some women in there, there were some men in there and nobody was even a a minute within my time. So I had nobody pushing me, but I went out and it felt good. It felt good. It felt strong. I was, but it was, I was out in a 111, the exact same time I was out in two weeks earlier but luckily I didn't know that. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to come home like gangbusters. And I came home in a 110. So I was out in a 111.1, came back in a 110.3. And I ended up breaking the old record by nine tenths of a second, which actually, you know, it's not that much, um, but I did it right. And in order to do it, I negative split, uh, that race. And I was, I mean, I hit that wall and I looked at the timer and, you know, 221, that's all I heard. And I was like, oh my God, I I did it. It was super meaningful for me to have broken that record. It was just a validation of a lot of things um, in my life. You know, the fact that I've been swimming almost nonstop for 20 plus years, the fact that, you know, I've been really watching what I eat and eating plant strong for 32 years. Um... It was just, it was validation on a lot of levels that the lifestyle that I'm living is, is paying off. And, you know, you also can't discount the, you know, the mental tenacity, uh, that you need in order to be consistent day in and day out and, you know, get up when you need to at five o'clock to go to these morning workouts. Um, so I put in the work, you know, I put in the work, I, um, I was eating the right foods. I had, you know, a, a swimming background that allowed me to do this, but it was a big event for me. 
best feeling in the world though, right? I mean, so describe a bit. I mean, you're, you're like we talked about, you're so accomplished already. You're, you're hitting that last lap of the, the race and you're entering, we joke about entering the pain cave, right? What, what did that feel like? And, and when, you're, when you're in it, why and how do you push so hard? Well, the, the interesting thing is, and, and because I'm so used to pushing my body, and I have been now for, God, probably since the age of, uh, you know, 11, 12, um, there's good pain and there's bad pain. And this was good pain. The two weeks before was awful, awful, like um, violent, evil pain. Like it's just, no, there was nothing about it that, that felt good. This time, and I think it's because I had trained in that 50-meter pool, my stroke was a little, my turnover was a little bit s- slower, more efficient. I saved my legs. It was like, okay. I mean, two weeks before I was out in a 111, I came back in a 113. This time I was out in a 111, I came back in a 110. I was almost three and a half seconds faster coming home, right? And you don't do that unless you feel good. And so, yes, it was painful, but it wasn't god-awful painful, right? It was like fun painful in some ways. But yes, I mean, I mean, in some senses, every molecule and cell in your body is saying, why are you doing this to yourself? But it's over before you know it, and... um uh, yeah, it was good. Well, congratulations. And and for some people, uh, shattering the world record is enough. But then you decided <laughs> you decided to uh, to try and widen the gap, and you and you went after it again. What two weeks later? Well, so there's so many amazing swimmers that are coming up now, and and these guys they're doing the dolphin kick underwater. Um, there's it's just like a whole other breed of swimmer. So I was like, you know, there was going to be a it's called the zones, the the regional zones master's swim meet at Texas A&M University. It's in an indoor 50-meter pool. You know, the dad's club where I tried it, it was outdoors. When it's outdoors and you're doing backstroke, you it's hard to kind of make sure you're swimming really straight down the lane lines because you have to rely on your peripheral vision, and sometimes the sun is in your eyes. So there's a lot of distracting factors. But at Texas A&M, it's one of the nicest pools in the country, uh, you know, it's like 10 feet deep the whole way. I would have competition pushing me. But of course, I'd been on vacation for two weeks before that. But I made a kind of promise to myself, I would get in this little lake, it's called Spirit Lake, and I get in it for at least 20 minutes every day. So I warmed up for like five minutes. I did some race pace freestyle. And then I did usually six to eight uh, 45 second bursts backstroke. And then I warmed down. And I did that every day for, you know, 14 days that I was there. I came home and then I had one week before the swim meet and I trained in a meters pool again. And another thing that a lot of people don't know is, um, so to get your race face on, I did a couple of things. One is I wore a a cap. You wear a cap, you know, I've got pretty thick, bushy hair. And so that makes you feel more streamlined. I also um, borrowed (laughs) from a friend one of these, uh, race suits. So they're these race jammer suits. Some of them cost upwards of 500 bucks, but it's amazing how you just, you ride a little bit higher in the water with these suits. And the last thing that I did is I, I shaved my legs, I shaved my arms and uh, I clipped my chest hairs. I just, I can't stand the way the the chest hairs, um, grow back. It's itchy and everything like that. But when you shave your, 
your the hair on your body, which all swimmers do for big meets, the amount of sensitivity that you have in the water, it's so enhanced that you can feel every little nuance, uh, you know, on freestyle, on backstroke, breaststroke, butterfly. And it's amazing how much faster you can go. So I did all those little things and I went to the swim meet. And the great thing was I already had the world record. So there was not, I, I wasn't putting a, a, an insane amount of pressure on myself. I had a great night's sleep the night before. Um, and I was looking at the heat sheets and there were like six heats. Uh, and every lane had, or every heat had six to eight people in them. And they do it f- uh, slowest to fastest. And so I was right next to a 32-year-old, you know, cat who had been a 221 flat. Now, when I got the record, it was 221 point, I think, 68. And so I was like, wow, this, um, good, this guy's going to push me. And he went out about a second faster than I did the first 50 meters. I was catching him the second 50 meters. I actually touched maybe about two or three tenths ahead of him. I was out in a 109. So if you remember that, Previously, I was on a 111, so I was on a 109, and then at the 150, I was about half a body length ahead of him, and then I started feeling the vacation time, and I was like, okay, this is hurting. I'm, I'm starting to die a little bit, but I held on enough to, to beat him and then also break my previous world record by a second. I went 220.8, and I was like, yes, yes. Well, amazing. I mean, and like we talk about, just a, just an absolute testament for the way that we eat and uh, an inspiration for people who are eating this way too. And like you talked about, and we, we kind of mentioned um, just, and you talk about in the seventh pillar, seventh pillar is movement. Um, for that person who doesn't have the ability to push themselves the way you push yourself, does it matter? Can they still get the same benefit from doing a, a half an hour workout in the gym or going for a walk? Or what is what is your message to somebody about just movement? Absolutely. And in, and in the seven day rescue uh, book, I talk about how, listen, the studies are very, very crystal clear. Even five to 10 minutes of something where you can get your heart rate up, elevated, is better than nothing. And so I tell people, find five or 10 minutes, whether it's walking stairs, whether it's walking your dog, whether it is doing something as simple as you know going out for a bike, um, but anything to get that, that, that heart rate up, get the blood flowing through your body, you know, we want to get blood flow into the hippocampus and into the brain. As you know, we just had plant stock and the Schur's eyes just are so adamant that exercise is so beneficial to help prevent brain shrinkage, uh, to help prevent Alzheimer's and, and all that stuff. And then we look at our, our muscles, we look at our bones, we look at our health as far as our mental health and ha- having a great attitude. This is the best antidepressant out there. Uh, I mean, look at yourself, right? I mean, you're out there doing that Peloton every day, like, you know, trying to beat George Hincapie. Huh? <laughs> I do love it. I do. I'm on the, the Peloton and I also have the Peloton tread. So I'm doing the, the bike and the run back and forth. But yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I feel, I'm, I'm the same way. If I don't get that workout in every day, mentally, I feel like something's missing in my day. So it's, it's just a massive part. of. So let I me ask do. you, Scott. How are you feeling going into the triathlon tomorrow, right? I, I feel good about legs two and three. The bike and the run, I may be okay at. In the pool, I'm going uh, <laughs> to, uh, I'm not feeling terribly confident. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll finish, but I don't think it's going to be terribly graceful. Well, it's not a pool. It's, it's a <laughs> pond. It's a pond. You know, it's one lap. Probably be about 250, 300 meters. But you did get me a noodle this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I did. 
I did. I got I got Scott a noodle in case he needed uh, needed some help. I just I just I, I I can't say enough about finding something that you love, and if you can find a group of people that you can do it with, and making it a, a part of your a part of your day, you won't regret it. You often on the podcast ask the guests what they what they had to eat that day, and I think people probably are listening and wondering and and very inquisitive about what you eat on a daily basis. So, what did you eat today? So so far today, I started the day off with I got about a big monster handful of frozen mango chunks. I put them in the uh, in the microwave for a minute exactly. And then I got a small handful of walnuts threw those in there. Then I got a banana, sliced that up, uh, threw that in there. And then I got maybe a cup, cup and a half of the Triple Berry Rips Big Bowl cereal, put that in there. And then I did the Pacific brand oat milk, overflowing, because I really like, um, it's amazing how the Rips Big Bowl like soaks up, right? (laughs) It's like a Chia Pet, but it soaks up uh, all the milk. And that was my breakfast. And just, you know, I can't wait to wake up in the morning and have that bowl of cereal. Although typically I have it after a workout. Let me, let me say that before I had that, my dad came in and, you know, every day that I've been here at the farm, we've been going on bike rides. So we, I kicked off the morning. I met him at 7 a.m. down in the kitchen. We went out for about a 55-minute bike ride. Hilly is, is all get out. We, I got back here. And it's then worth I mentioning your father's 85 years old, correct? I mean, it's amazing what he's able to do. 85, he'll be 86 this year. Yeah. And it's, it's fun when we're, you know, we're racing on downhills and then certain stretches, you know, we're, yeah, we're like putting the, the pedal to the metal and looking at each other and, you know, hurting. It, it's so awesome. Great. And then after that, I went for a little, a little run in the fields and then I went for a swim in the pond and then I did 20 pull-ups, <laughs> right? But, you know, and, but you knock it out in an hour and a half and then you're like feeling day like a, a million bucks. It's like, yeah. and then it's like, okay, let's go ahead, Dave, throw, throw at me anything you want and you can handle it a lot better. Um, but then I had uh, the, the Ritz Big Bowl cereal and obviously I've been running errands. I've been, been getting ready for the triathlon and marking the course and putting up the finish line. And before you and I sat down right now, uh, we just had, um, it was actually a hodgepodge of leftovers from dinner last night that uh, my mother actually turned into a, a wonderful salad with, with, with farro and black rice and cucumbers uh, and I think tomatoes and broccoli and there was some sort of a dressing on there. And then after that, uh, we had these open-faced cucumber sandwiches with a layer of hummus, cucumbers, uh, a little bit of onion and then uh, some seasoning, just, just simple and, yeah. and, and dynamite. And tonight, I mean, we're going to like, we're going to blow it out. We're doing, we got a big fire. We're going to do corn over the fire. We're going to do engine two hamburgers. Uh, we're going to do the engine two brats. We're going to have big monster salads. Uh, we'll probably kind of get a little wild and crazy and do some vegan s'mores <laughs> not on the engine two rescue plan but but uh yeah and uh yeah wonderful well hey so it's the uh just about the end of season one maybe you can share some of your uh your highlights and some of the the fun parts that you enjoyed over the course of recording the first season man you know scott this has been it's been such a thrill 
doing the podcast. And, you know, I want to thank you again for pushing me to, you know, kind of launch into doing, doing a podcast. Um, it's, it stretched me, uh, more than I, more than I knew. And I love doing the research and going into the, uh, the interviews, uh, obviously interviewing my father, right. I mean, uh, to sit there with, um, a man who has been one of my heroes my whole life was fantastic. My mother, you know, just love her energy and, and her just wildness, uh, the Shur's eyes and everything that they're doing right now in the Alzheimer's space. Um, you know, JD Roth, you know, gosh, you know, it doesn't get much, much bigger than, than when it comes to a TV producer than JD Roth. And the fact that JD and his wife, Chrissy, uh, have embraced the, the plant strong lifestyle is just fantastic. You know, Aaron, Aaron Spitz, you know, people don't even know who Aaron Spitz is, but man, you're going to know. And when the game changers hits, it's one of the epic scenes, uh, of the movie. Um, you know, Chuck Carroll, just running into him and having him just share his story of going from 440 plus pounds to where he is now. Uh, Adam Sud and, and Adam's passion and his transformation that was just kind of over the top. Then, of course, you know, you, you have these these inspirational stories like Paul DeGelder, who basically was staring death in the face and came out very much scathed, but came out and he's turned that that pain into purpose and speaking of turning pain into purpose god eric adams right oh, oh my gosh one of my favorite episodes i mean eric eric is is uh, just such a special man and um is doing such amazing things as the the borough the borough president and i really hope that that guy can can become mayor that would be so fantastic yeah. For, for all things plant based. Oh, I mean, tips. I mean, come on, Chad, Chad, and 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 his expertise in the kitchen and his passion for for that. Oh my gosh! And then listen, talking to Michael Clapper about paleo and keto, and then of course Doug Lyle, paleo and keto. These guys have have been in the you know deep in the trenches for oh, you know almost thirty plus years and have such a uh, an expertise. And then. You know, since I'm only about a stone's throw from the Appalachian Trail, can't forget Scott Jurek, right? Scott and Jenny and what Scott did to get that record, that speed record. And we're talking about the world record in the pain cave. You know, that is so inspirational for everybody. Well, when we were um, when we were recording the interview with the Shurzais, one of the things that Aisha said to you was she was talking about sleep, and she said, "I imagine you're traveling right now, and uh, so it's it's getting kind of hard. You're not maybe getting the sleep you're used to, but you're you're working hard, and you're about to launch this thing that's going to mean a lot and going to help a lot of people. And so here we sit, one season in, and you've done that. I think it's been wonderful, and the amount of people who are tuning in is really phenomenal, and the lives that you're that you're changing and helping to educate is wonderful. So uh, this has been an honor to work with you in peace engine two plant strong <laughs> peace engine two plant strong you got it thanks scott one of the most common questions that i get from athletes is how to properly fuel if you're having a hard time starting or staying the course with a plant strong lifestyle and you really want to master the habits and create a sustainable system around your personal healthy eating, I invite you to check out our Plan Strong Meal Planner. I am really pumped up on this platform. It was specifically designed 
and engineered to solve one very common hurdle we have heard from each and every one of you. How do you make plant-based eating easy, convenient, and delicious? We came up with the solution. We have thousands of plant-strong recipes customized to your personal preferences, integrated grocery delivery to most major metropolitan areas, the ability to create and edit shopping lists, and a team of Engine 2 coaches who are on hand to answer every question from how do you cut a mango in half to how do I begin cooking this way? No matter how silly the question, we are on hand to help. And all of this is available for a buck ninety a week when you sign up for a year. We get emails from people every day saying how this has changed their life and it's made going plant-based so much easier. I hope you'll let us help you and your family fall in love with this way of eating. To learn more, sign up at mealplanner.engine2.com or click on the meal planner on our website, engine2.com. I want to thank my co-creator of the podcast, Scott Battisill of 10% Media, Lori Kordowich, producer extraordinaire and director of Engine 2 Events, Amy Mackey, Engine 2's curator of creative content, Wade Clark with Bumble Media, our audio engineer, and Carrie Barrett for technical production. I have to thank my parents, Anne and Essie, who have been such guiding lights and inspirations over the years, as well as the great pioneers of this movement who have been pushing this boulder up the mountain. As they say, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Remember, if you're digging the show, please rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, let me say, peace, engine two, keep it plant strong.